Howdy everybody. The following is a Republic Keeper educational recorded discussion with Chaplain Raymond, our Attorney General for the Republic State of Texas. We've been covering a book called The Authority of Law by Charles A. Wiseman. Today we started Chapter 7, which was our non-constitutional legal system, got into constitutional avoidance, and we ended right before non-constitutional laws on page 68. Hope you enjoy. Okay, we have finished covering uh, today, excuse me, today is March 11th, 2011, in the continuing course on authority of law by uh, Mr. Weissman, and we will be uh, starting now Chapter 7, which is near the end of the book, and we're going to be entering what I call the mind-twisting portion. Do not be disappointed if you end the day not grasping what we will discuss today. Because this is part of the smokescreen. All right? Our non-constitutional legal system. Many recognize that the legal system today does not follow constitutional law or the common law as it once did, but is now operating under some other law. While it is generally agreed that we are under a different law and legal system, its exact nature seems to be in dispute. I say it eludes us. It has been said that we are under admiralty law, or equity law and procedure, or administrative rules, or public policy, or emergency measures, or bankruptcy law, or the war powers, or international law, or martial law. Now, in a sense, all of these concepts are in part correct, since aspects of each of them are being arbitrarily followed. But none of them specifically state or identify the legal problem and situation. While the cause or source of the current corrupt law and legal system is to be found in the spiritual sector, there is a legal explanation for what is tr transpiring in the government and courts. Now before I leave this introduction, I just want to make a point here that of all those above, the one that gets thrown out right now because of not knowing of the contracts is Admiralty Law requires an international contract. And it is viewed and handled under the equity law procedures as well as having within it fines and penalties. Well, it's the inability to pin down the existence of the international contract that causes them never to home in on that one and branch out into all of these other options. But um, we had a gentleman point out to us the other day that uh, he saw a high watermark on Pikes Peak that represents the high watermark for the Coast Guard jurisdiction for um, their functions. If you were to fill the United States up 
with water until it touched Pikes Peak that would cover the whole 48 states and the lower 48. So if there's any doubt that it's Admiralty, just remember the sign on Pikes Peak. Now, the constitutional avoidance. The question many of us have often asked is how can those who control the legal and judicial system avoid conflict with the Constitution while implementing arbitrary and tyrannical laws and procedures? The answer is they make use of a concept known as constitutional avoidance. Now, I'm, there is an issue for, by some about a law passed in 1790, uh, and I really ask that they pay particular attention to this piece of legal thinking. The answer is they make use of a concept known as constitutional avoidance. By this basic concept, it is never presumed that the legislature intended to act contrary to the Constitution or Bill of Rights, or that it meant to exercise or usurp any unconstitutional authority. Thus, if a statute can be interpreted two ways, one which conflicts with the Constitution and one which does not, the courts will always adopt the interpretation that avoids constitutional conflict. They will also dispose of matters by some other means which does not involve the Constitution if available. The court will not pass upon a constitutional question, although properly presented by the record, if there is also present some other ground upon which the case may be disposed. Where a case in this court can be cited without reference to questions arising from the federal constitution, that course is usually pursued. A statute must be construed, if barely possible, so as to avoid not only the conclusion that it is unconstitutional, but also grave doubts upon that score. Thus, a construction or decision which would be in conflict with the Constitution is to be avoided if another is available that causes no conflict. In dealing with what is called a non-constitutional issue, the U.S. Supreme Court stated this rule of procedure. The ordinary rule is that a federal court should not decide federal constitutional questions where a dispositive non-constitutional ground is available. Suppose that a federal statute required all farmers to sell their grains at certain designated grain mills. One farmer had a contract with one of these grain mills to sell his grain to them. 
when the law is passed, he stops sending his grain to that mill in protest of the law, which is obviously not authorized by the federal constitution. The grain mill thus sues the farmer, and the farmer claims that the statute which the grain mill bases its claim is unconstitutional. But as the record shows, the farmer was under a contract to sell his grain. The court holds that the farmer is required to sell his grain to the mill, and the statute appears to be held valid. He has an invalid complaint against the Constitution. The contract became the other ground, or the non-constitutional ground, upon which the matter can be settled. Thus, if a non-constitutional ground exists, as well as an if unconstitutional one, the issue will be decided upon the non-constitutional ground to avoid conflict with the Constitution, no matter how much the statute involved might conflict with the Constitution. Now, if there was no contract and thus no other ground existing, the court still would see if the statute could be interpreted in some reasonable way as to avoid the conflict. The concept of constitutional avoidance is basic and somewhat logical and just, but those who are in control of the current legal system have taken this principle and have expanded upon it and made it the basis of the system we now have. They have intentionally created other non-constitutional grounds and issues to circumvent the application of constitutional law. They have done this through legislative action by creating a host of boards, commissions, agencies, bureaus, and trusts which make up a rather new concept of law in government called administrative law. The legal status of these entities is much like that of a corporation, which is also created by statute. The powers granted to an administrative body may be such as to establish it as a legal entity, and although not expressly declared to be a corporation, it may be considered a public quasi-corporation. The Interstate Commerce Commission is a body corporate with legal capacity to be a party, plaintiff, or defendant in the federal courts. When a government is created by a compact for constitution, it too is in a sense a legal entity or corporate body but one which exists by the decree of the people or by the common law. By these administrative agencies or bodies being creatures of statute, having a different relationship to the people than do the legislative, executive, and judicial bodies created by the Constitution, this point is critical since the relationship to an entity determines the authority for the law it might make. These agencies and commissions are not true constitutional entities and have no common law authority 
being that they are created by the legislature. But, like a corporation, they also are not unconstitutional. Rather, they are non-constitutional in nature, which simply means their existence does not come from the Constitution. Thus, the problems and conflicts citizens have with these legal entities can be decided on some other ground other than a constitutional one. It becomes an issue that can be decided without reference to the Constitution, as they are not its creatures. No creature of the Constitution has power to question its authority or hold inoperative any section or provision of it. Artificial legal entities are creatures of the legislature and are not creatures of the Constitution. Therefore, they are not bound to the terms or limitations of the Constitution except as statute might make them. Thus, when citizens have a conflict with these entities, the issue can be resolved upon a non-constitutional ground, not the Constitution. The Internal Revenue Service is a typical example, as it is not a creature of the U.S. Constitution, nor does it have common law powers. It is a mechanism created by government, and thus any conflicts with it can be, be decided upon grounds other than the Constitution, i.e. non-constitutional grounds. The Constitution, with its requirements and limitations, has been avoided by creating a non-constitutional entity. The activities of such entities are generally immune from attack as being unconstitutional. This is especially so today with the adverse spiritual conditions that prevail in the land. The Federal Reserve is another example of this, as it is an artificial legal entity created by Congress. It is, and as an aside, it is identified as an instrumentality of Congress. While it is true its Federal Reserve notes are not constitutional, since such things are not obviously, uh, are obviously not specifically authorized by the U.S. Constitution, they also are not unconstitutional, since Congress is not printing or issuing the paper currency. Congress is clearly prohibited from doing such things since it is a constitutional entity and its actions are limited by the Constitution. But a corporation or trust is not. So, to avoid constitutional conflicts, certain lawyers got Congress to create an artificial legal entity and then let that entity issue the paper currency. It is no different if a corporation would print and issue its own monopoly money. Such a measure is not unconstitutional because the corporation is not a constitutional entity. Thus, all constitutional issues have been avoided with the creation of the Federal Reserve. Can I repeat that? Thus, all constitutional issues have been avoided with the creation of the Federal Reserve. 
Whatever areas these non-constitutional legal entities have control over, they function to avoid conflict with the Constitution and due process procedures. It is true that we are not legally bound to follow the laws of these entities or to use or accept Federal Reserve notes since the powers that be have avoided the Constitution, there must be a way in which we can legally avoid their non-constitutional activities, rules, and laws. This can be done by declaring a lack of authority and subject matter jurisdiction because of the lack of valid law from the legislature or Congress. Under the Christian Republic of the past, the problems associated with this administrative law would have been minimal and less severe. But America and the world has become plagued with an ungodly spiritual condition which has magnified these problems. Though this adverse spiritual problem is the source of the legal problems and dilemma we face today, the nature and reasons for it are beyond the scope of this treatise. But the spiritual realm does affect the legal realm, and it has made these legal entities created by statute a severe problem with regards to freedom and individual rights. I think, yes, we're 25 minutes into it. Let's stop there. Now, anybody confused? Yeah, you wipe my brain out. I'll explain it to you later, dear. <laughs> oh, I understand it. <laughs> well, chances for a more clear explanation, you need to read Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, 1938. <laughs> Uh, well, okay. I think that it's, it's hard to remember this. It's hard to see it in action. It's hard to recognize it. What is, did anybody catch the distinction that's made here? What yeah. about the, okay. What about the word? What is the distinction you see? Well, if you go to court and try to fight it under the Constitution, you're going to lose. Yes. The only way you're going to beat it is to declare it as uh, uh, what's, what's the subject matter. Subject matter, yes. Subject matter, You've got a better chance there. Now, now, what I was looking for was much, something much more specific. Did you catch the difference when, in the reading here? You know, a subtitle is should be our non-constitutional legal system, not our unconstitutional legal system. When you go back and read this again, I want you to mark every place that says non-constitutional in one color and 
unconstitutional in another. And it may give, give you a heads up on how to know what this is saying. Now, the only way, since it's consent of the government, that you can be subject to a non-constitutional legal system is with your consent. And you mean by contract? Your consent, yes. Does the remedy still apply in non-constitutional legal systems? The remedy that is being used is under contract law, fraud. There, nothing vitiates fraud. There's okay. no statutes of limitations on fraud, okay? When they do not tell you the, the nature of the commitment you're making, they are withholding. There's not full disclosure. Full disclosure is tantamount to fraud. Or non-full disclosure. Non-full disclosure, yeah. Okay? And so, yes. yes, under contract law, there is the provision that fraud voids a contract. Now, so, it is not clear here, and this is the subtlety with this thing, if they are maintaining that this non-constitutional stuff, this administrative law, and insisting that you treat it as law, and acting all, in all things, in the court, with bailiffs and everything, that it's law, then they don't have subject matter jurisdiction. What if, in fact, they understand that it is a contract, and it's terms and conditions that you have consented to, they can enforce. Okay, so do not be surprised that if they haven't been able to use things to be able to circumvent the subject matter uh, jurisdiction debate. Now, in all that we've done up to now in this course, I have assumed I was talking to men on the land, women on the land that you were not subject to these contracts. Therefore, subject matter jurisdiction is always available to you. Okay? Mm -hmm. So when I say, what is your political status? I'm addressing this perplexing thing we are just now discussing. Can they use a non-constitutional thing in your contract with them to compel your performance and even circumvent the subject matter jurisdiction? There probably are the arguments that they can use and do that. But they have to admit that it's a contract. Okay? They have to admit that they're using contract law to compel you to perform. And that's the thin line they walk. Do they wish it to be known this is strictly a contract 
and they're acting it like it, they're acting like it's legislature written law that the public is bound and has a mandatory requirement to follow. If you're up against the court and they do not want to wish to endanger the position they have that they've been assuming all along that it's wrong, then there's a good chance subject matter jurisdiction will work for those who even had contracts. Is this getting clearer or less clear? But it's your status. Do you have contracts or don't you? Are you on the land or do you have contracts that determine the workability? And this, in this, now I want to go back a little bit further in the article to the constitutional avoidance. They count on this when they write their laws. Otherwise, they couldn't meet the simple law writing criteria. So that the assumption is, if there is one way of looking at this, and you think it's a fraudulent law, and there's another way of looking at it which makes it a lawful law, you must use the lawful, not the fraudulent. Because that is the premise or the presumption with which it is addressed. Now, some of you may not know why I'm emphasizing that, but it is an extremely important concept to understand when you're trying to interpret the statutes, the actual statutes on the book. If it sounds like it's breaking the law or the Constitution, look for a way to agree visualize it and understand it, which which is an alternative. In some ways, it reminds me of reading the Bible, where you have two verses in the Bible that conflict. And years later, you discover, oh, my goodness, they really don't. Once you understand it and read more. So this is the same thing. If you think that there is a real problem here and it's fraudulent, there, if there's an interpretation that allows you to be non-fraudulent, you must use it because that's what the courts will use. Okay. Um, I don't know if I'm – I never know when to stop on these sort of things. Um does anybody want to try to give some examples? No, but, but I'm very glad this whole topic has come up. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surprised at the fact that the last statement actually is the one that, that sums it up. There is, if there's an interpretation that is non-fraudulent, then that is the one to use in order to evaluate or judge the law. That's correct. If it, if it, 
it, it's one of these mute, collectively exhaustive set things. Uh, you're innocent until proven guilty things. In other words, for it to have been fraudulent, it's got to be heavy fraud. It's got to be. And, and when they use the word constructive, this is mental gyrations, mentally putting facts and events together in a string, you know, you're constructing, remember my saying that many a valid argument is followed from a false premise? Yes. The valid argument is this construction that they refer to here when they say constructive. Well, constructive fraud is just as bad as direct fraud. But what they're dealing with here sometimes is the the lawyers and attorneys explaining the law and ex constructing a a vision of it or a way of describing it. And so when the Supreme Court or one of these uh, appeals courts talk about there's nothing you can do constructive, okay, to to draw any other conclusion, meaning don't even think about it. Don't go there. We will not honor it. So, and it's and it takes a while before you get deep enough into these these subjects until you really see and have the chance to experience it. The 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 idea of keeping a law simple must be supported by this presumption of constitutionality. And that helps us to really get by. Now, there, when something is totally unconstitutional, now, it is, um, let me give you a recent example now, now that you're at this level. Um, the Obamacare unconstitutionality argument that was done by a judge in Florida, most of the time the legislature in this new non-constitutional legal system world tries to put into each law they write what is called a severability clause or paragraph or section, which says, if any piece of this is declared unconstitutional, only that piece can be cut out and thrown away. Well, when they left that piece in to the economic evaluation of Obamacare, that meant they had to do their economic analysis on whether it would work and whether it would pay by going through and severing these sections that had potential constitutional issues. Every time they went through and did that economic evaluation, severing, they didn't pass the funding criteria that allowed them to pass it as long. The only way they got sufficient numbers to be able to 
process it through their system as long, was to remove the severability section so that they only had one economic evaluation to make. And it was easier to make it look like it would pay. As a result, finding just one piece that was unconstitutional in this non-constitutional thing throughout the whole thing because of the lack of having the severability section. Now, was that too hard for people to understand here? I have to admit it was for me. Just, just this last, everything that you said after the legislature in this non-constitutional system, because I had to think about the implication of that first clause. Were you suggesting that every act that comes out of our current Congress is non-constitutional? Is it a just corporation? A, yes. Okay, then, my goodness. That when people talk to their senators and representatives, like this town is so fond of inviting them into town and talking with them, that's just theater, isn't it? Mostly. Mm -hmm. Well, it's what I call managing perceptions. Yes. And the press is a party to it. I don't know if it's a, you know, a, a, a thinking party. I mean, they just do it. It's, how many years did you think I was a party to it? You can't do that. They won't allow that. Oh, my goodness. How much? It used to worry me that I couldn't go to work unless I had a Social Security number understanding what God had said in Revelation 13. And I just was, oh, my goodness. Why am I having to face this? But the non-constitutional legal system is not unconstitutional as far as it being in existence. And therefore, it's what what is done? They invented words and phrases to obscure the fact that it was commercial and they were a corporation. The whole need to sit here and use phrases like non-constitutional versus unconstitutional is brought about by the desire to not reveal that it's a corporation engaging in commercial activity and they didn't want you to know that you were in contract with them. So these are, when I was going to college, a teacher taught me when you think up reasons that aren't really the reason, but they explain it away, she called that rational, rationalization. So we have a rationalized commercial system. Any more thoughts or questions? Now, I'm willing to stick with this subject again tomorrow if you want. 
before Monday. Yes, I like it. <laughs> yes? UCC is a fraudulent set of laws with no, no. a fraudulent remedy. What is UCP? Uniform no, Universal Code. Oh. Now, 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 Bill, the UCC is really a codification of the old Roman law merchant. Absolutely. What doesn't mean it's fraudulent. It's usually very fair. Uh, until the modern-day merchant got a hold of it. Well, I'm, I don't go that far. If you go back to Babylon and read it from Babylon up to the yeah. Roman Empire, I'll agree with you the fairness. Read it from uh -huh. the tongue and you'll find out what it really is. Now go go look go look at the twin the two corporations, two domicile picture. And on the upper one with the glass you'll see a rectangle that has a, a note in it about a properly commenced judicial proceeding. Guess what kind of a judicial proceeding that is? Hmm. Guess where your remedy lies? In UCC. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. But it's a fraudulent remedy because it's an unconscionable contract. No. No, you got it twisted, Bill. I'm using the UCC to void an unconscionable contract. Right. It isn't the UCC that's fraudulent. Okay. The UCC is a law. I mean, it's been around forever. <laughs> Just been codified. Now, it, it possesses the same uh, discrepancies that any code does, but the UCC is the law merchant is generally extremely fair. Let me give you an example. You can have claim, 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 claim come against you. Under the UCC, you, you make one request for proof of claim and everything stops. The sheriff can't arrest you, they can't take your property. I mean, the, the proof of claim says, all right, Take no further step until you prove that that claim is valid. Don't keep sending claims. And I would, the courts I would agree with you on that point up to 2003. I don't know what where you're going. Um, well, up the home mortgage thing. Oh, a lot of states now that do not have to provide proof of claim that there is a valid contract and that the bank owns the note. And that has that happened in nineteen or in two thousand three. Where did that happen? In the UCC or did it happen in a legislature that doesn't pass laws? It happened in the law of contracts in a in a North Dakota court and I can't think of the case. Well then it's not the UCC. Since it's only one state. Okay. So it's a law passed by a legislature that doesn't have an enactment clause? I would almost <laughs> say you're correct on that one. Okay, so 
be very careful when you choose those words. I mean, it it's it reflects it reflects our old patriot way of looking at things. Now we're dealing with the real technical legal way of looking at things because that's where our protection lies. Well, when when we get back to the republics and the courts, yes, I'll agree with you. Well, we're there now. And like I say, what I've I preferred, I think we need to turn the recording off.